<clears throat> good morning. Good morning. Great singing, worship, good to worship with you. Thank you, Kathy, and your team for leading us in worship this morning. Just before we release the kids to Grace Kids, uh, a few little announcements for me to go over with you. Our uh, Grace Youth, youth group, are away this weekend. There are 30 of them that have gone up to Camp Minioe with uh, Kylie Galt, their leader, and some of their volunteer leaders. And uh, we've received some word that they're having a wonderful time, and God's answering prayer, so keep praying for them. Normally, we have a, a, a junior youth class in our programming on Sunday morning, but we will not this morning, just because so many of our leaders are away. So we welcome uh, junior youth to, to stay with us in the service here this morning. Second announcement is, uh, as many of you know, we've been uh, asking God to give us new elders for our elder team here at Grace. And uh, I'm happy to say that Mark Brown and Einar Skolsig, Einar has been our MC this morning, are... Uh, uh, <clears throat> Have, have agreed that they feel God's call upon their life to become elders, and, uh, and I endorse them uh, very strongly as well, as I know many of, most of you will. And, uh, and so you'll hear more about this next week, but we just wanted to tell you that things are moving forward, and uh, let's just keep praying that God will build us a, a strong elder team for the future, and that he will add even more elders to our, uh, to our team uh, as this year progresses. But uh, there will be an affirmation process throughout the month of April, May, and that will be explained more to you next week. So we thank God for that. Also, as Einer has been mentioning, we're in the process of searching for a new lead pastor. And uh, it's only been one week so far, but uh, we had a little note from Steve Adams, our uh, consultant, who's, who's doing the go-between work between our church and applicants. And his brief email was, uh, thus far I have connected with one possible candidate. It's con I'm continuing to make connections. Now hear this, encourage the people to keep praying. God bless Steve. So we must keep praying in our 30-day in our prayer program. Now the verse today uh, in, the, uh, in the prayer handout on day seven today comes from Jeremiah 29, uh, 11 to 13. I'll just read it for you. Uh, it says, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, uh, not to harm you, uh, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. That was a promise that God gave to his people on an occasion long ago in the past, but it, it displays to us and tells us what God is like, a God who, whose intention is to give us a future and a hope uh, and plans for a future and a hope, which applies to all God's people at all time. So let me just pray a prayer this morning, right now, uh, with that verse in mind as we continue to pray in our 30 days of prayer. Dear God, we gather before you this morning with those words, in a sense, ringing in our ears. You're a God who has good intentions for your people. You want to do good for us, plans for a future and for a hope and for our welfare, not to harm us. And so we, we just, in prayer, believe that's who you are and that's who we're praying to as we ask you collectively this morning as a congregation to guide our search process and bring to us 
the right person at the right time to help lead our church in a pastoral way. We pray for the gospel's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's dismiss the kids now. Uh, you can all leave at the same time this morning and head out the back door, connect up with the Grace Kids volunteers, and they will lead you to your class this morning. Have a great time. The rest of you can turn to Genesis chapter 25. I think I forgot to introduce myself earlier. I'm John Fairchild and the interim pastor here at Grace these days. And it's my privilege to bring another message. We've started a, a series uh, last Sunday uh, on the life of Jacob from the book of Genesis. Jacob was uh, one of the great names of the Bible, and was the father of the nation of Israel, which we'll explain as we go along. But uh, his life is an interesting life, uh, and it's a, a challenging, complicated life, but it's full of lessons of how God works with a person who's not all that particularly worthy, but who God in his grace transformed. And uh, so we're going to follow that transformation process from week to week over the next several weeks through the month of May. And uh, <clears throat> for those of you maybe who are visiting us this morning, it's possible that uh, you haven't been to church for a long time, or it's possible it's the first time you've ever been in church, I have a, I have a message for you. Welcome. Glad you're here, and uh, glad you're here to... to expose yourself to what the scriptures say. You know, the, Bible's, the Bible teaches us about God. It teaches us about ourselves. It teaches us about the gospel, how Jesus loved us, died for us, and rose from the dead. It teaches us also how to live wisely. And, uh, and so there will be a few lessons in our story this morning that I hope will be helpful for you in living wisely before God. Um, and so we'll, we'll proceed. Um, We've entitled the overall series, Jacob's Second Choice World, uh, because for a large part of his life, he lived in a set of circumstances that were not his first choice, and yet they were God's choice to shape this man into being what he should be and what God wanted him to be. Today's title is called The Deceiver, and we're going back to the uh, beginning of Jacob's life, and uh, we will see a not very nice side of Jacob this morning. Uh, let me begin the story. It's, it starts in, uh, in Genesis 25. Jacob's father is Isaac, and his mother's name is Rebekah. And um, they couldn't have children for quite some time. And then Isaac prayed for Rebekah, and she conceived. And lo and behold, she had twins inside of her. And the story goes along, and it says that even when the twins were living in her body, they were struggling against one another. There, there was something weird going on inside of her. The, the, the twins, whoever they were, 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 seemed to be fighting almost. And, and, and Rebecca noted that as the mother who was carrying them. And then came the day when the twins were born. And uh, the first one to be born was a boy named Esau. And then the second one... Uh, was Jacob, and Jacob is the character we're following through the story here uh, these weeks. <clears throat> there was something interesting that Rebecca and the midwives noted when they were born. As I said, Esau emerged first, 
Uh, and, but when Jacob was born, they noticed that his hand was extended and it was grasping his brother's heel, if you can picture that. And, and I think they thought, that's weird. Uh, and so they named him Jacob. Jacob means he who grasps the heel. Uh, but it's, it's a Hebrew idiom, and it means, it means someone who's kind of a conniver and a grasper and a grabber and a deceiver almost. And so they named the second boy Jacob because his name Jacob means that, and it all had to do with the grasping of Esau's heel. But it's a, uh, it's a picture of the life of Jacob as he grew up and what kind of person he would be. Esau, it says, even as a newborn, was hairy. Uh, and uh, hairy all over and kind of reddish in color, red hair. And so the name Esau means in Hebrew possibly red or hairy uh, or both. And uh, sometimes it's a little hard to get the whole meaning out of, out of a name or a word. But that's what Esau's name means. Jacob means he who grasped the heel. And, uh, and so the, the boys were born. And, uh, and they grew up in the family, Isaac their father, Rebekah their mother. Let me read now some of it. Parts of the story I'm just going to tell you as I just did, and parts of it we'll read. So I'm going to start in Genesis 25 and verse 21 through to the end of the chapter. Um, I've already told you a bit of this. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered her prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. She must have scratched her head and said, I wonder what that means. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out, he was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out in his hand, grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Note that sentence. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished, and he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Edom means red, and the stew was red, and hair red. You know, a lot of red going on here in Esau's life. Verse 31, Jacob replied, I add, very slyly, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Interesting moment. We'll come back to that uh, in, a, in a moment. Let me continue to tell you the story. The boys grow up. I think they're uh, fully adults. And uh, Isaac is getting old and he's blind, uh, and he feels he's nearing the end of his life. And traditionally and typically in those families in those days, the father would give a blessing to his son, his oldest son, who had the birthright. Uh, and uh, so 
um, and, and to all of his children, really. So Isaac said to Esau, the oldest son, who he intended to give the blessing to, um, you know, let's, let's, let's do it this way. You go out, hunt some game, bring the game home, make a stew, and we'll have a little celebration. We'll eat some of that stew that I love so much, Isaac said, and, uh, and, then, and then I'll give you your blessing. Esau said, great. So away he went to hunt. But that conversation was overheard by Rebecca, their mother, and she panicked because she favored Jacob, and she wanted Jacob to have the blessing, which would give you a great advantage in life. And so she called Jacob, and she says, we got to do something. She says, here's what we're going to do. Um, <clears throat> she said, uh, let's kill one of the, uh, one of the kids, uh, that means a goat, <laughs> and... Uh, and make a stew. I know exactly how to make the kind of stew that your father loves. And then we're going to disguise you and put you in front of your father with the stew. And we'll pretend that you're Esau and you've got the game and you've made the stew and you're here for the blessing and he'll bless you. And he won't know it's you and he'll think it's Esau because he's blind. And I, uh, Jacob said, but my brother is hairy, kind of, you know, really rough to, to the touch, really hairy sort of guy. Esau, in, in my understanding, was like a rowdy man's man in those days, you know, a hunter, uh, all hairy all over, and, uh, and, 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 and so, and Jacob was not. It says Jacob was a smooth man and, and, and much more maybe cultured or more of a bookworm, perhaps, even though they might not have had books in those days. And so Jacob said, how are we going to trick my father? And she said, we'll, we'll, we'll get some goat skins, and we're going to put all of Esau's clothes on you, for one thing, and then we'll cover your smooth skins on the back of your neck and your arms with goat skin so that if he touches you, he'll think he's touching hairy Esau. And uh, it's no problem. What could possibly go wrong? So uh, <clears throat> that's what they did. And Jacob came before his father with the stew. If it was me, I'd be trembling all over. And he said, Father, I've got the game, and here we are, and let's, let's get on with it. Let's enjoy the stew. So I'm going to pick the story up again here and read from chapter 27, verse 18. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Because remember, he's blind. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. There's one big huge lie right there. Isaac asked his son, a little bit suspicious because he's back so quickly. How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Big lie again. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Could you hear uh, Jacob's heart rate go up there? Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him, and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize, for his, recognize him, for his hands were hairy, like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Still suspicious. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Big lie number three. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went and kissed him. Kind of like Judas's kiss, isn't it? 
But anyway, just, just twig me there. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, remember Esau's clothes he was wearing, he blessed him and he said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the, Father has, that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and may those who bless you be blessed. And there was the blessing. It says, no sooner did Jacob leave his father's presence when Esau came home with the game, not knowing what had just happened. He, he prepared the, the stew with the game, and he went to his father, and he says, well, father, here I am. Let's get on with it. And uh, Isaac said to him, who are you? And Esau said, I'm Esau, your son. I've got the game, you know. And, and Isaac said, uh, well, who, who was it that I just blessed? And all of a sudden, the, the story became evident of what had just happened. Esau said, don't you have a blessing for me? And basically, Isaac said, no, I've given it to your brother. You must understand that these blessings in those days were irre- irre- irrevocable. Hope I pronounced that right. They were permanent. And they were powerful. And they determined the destiny of the person upon whom the blessing was given. It had been given to Jacob by hook or by crook, and it was by crook, and it couldn't be taken back. Esau knew that. He was enraged, very angry. So angry, he out loud over and over made death threats against Jacob and said, when my father dies, and he's going to die soon, I'm going to kill my brother for what he's done to me. Rip me off again. And, uh, and so that's where chapter 27 ends uh, today. Let's draw some lessons out of this story now that we have before us. First one is a lesson in character. <clears throat> it's about Esau's impulsiveness when he traded his birthright for a, a pot of stew. <clears throat> Question, are you an impulsive person? Uh, or do you know an impulsive person? Esau was hungry. He wanted some of the stew that Jacob had been cooking. The birthright gave that child an advantage in life. It gave them a double portion of their father's blessing. It was a very valuable thing to have. I don't know if the birthright was like a a, a physical thing of some sort or a piece of paper with something written on it. Uh, But uh, anyway, Esau, in in his impulsive moment thought to himself, what good is the birthright to me? I'm so starved. What I need is some food. And he traded away, swore an oath, and he traded it to, uh, uh, to Jacob and, uh, and got his stew. Not a really big sin, really, is it? Two wrong thinking, uh, two, two things were being thought wrongly of here. In Esau's mind, his error in thinking was, I know I shouldn't really do this, but I'm so hungry I can't wait. If it creates a problem, we'll fix it tomorrow. And those are the words of an impulsive person. I'll do what I want to do today and we'll let tomorrow take care of it. Um, big mistake so often in life. Jacob had some wrong thinking as well, as we know. 
Jacob's thinking might have been something like this. Life is good here with mom and dad, but I'm feeling like something's missing. If I could just have that birthright, then I would be happy. Very common kind of thinking today as well, right? If I could just have fill in the blank, then I would be happy. And people live like that all their lives sometimes. If I could just, if I could just, if I could just. And Esau's in, are in modern life as well. Um, we'll fix it tomorrow. I'm just going to go and do what I want to do today, impulsively. And, uh, and so this is, a, this is a moment for all of us even just to say, Lord, speak to me about my own life. Uh, am I making either of these thinking mistakes? Does it cause me to be impulsive? Sometimes our moments of, of impulsiveness uh, can be the source of laughter and funny stories, right? Uh, you know, you're having a get-together with some people and you, you never guess what I did today. You know, when I was coming home and I passed the Dairy Queen and I went in and just, just, it's, I, was, I don't know, I, I can't believe I did it. I ordered the double-decker banana split with three bananas and half a pound of Smarties on it and, and uh, milk and syrup and everything and I can't believe I ate the whole thing and we laugh and it's harmless. But some moments of impulsivity are not harmless. There's a dark side to this quality. Marriages have been absolutely ruined by an impulsive act. Children have been alienated from their parents by an impulsive act. People have been plunged into lifelong enslaving debt because of being impulsive. And some people have entered the horrible hell of substance abuse because of an impulsive decision. Please hear me on this. God wants his people to be wise and he wants us to be guarded and he wants us to be thoughtful. What are some of the solutions to impulsiveness? Uh, I'll leave that for the small groups mostly to discuss this week if you want to. You know, do, do some brainstorming because it's a dangerous thing, right? And, uh, but of course, there's, there's learning the concept of delayed gratification where something that I want and would gratify me right now, I say no to because I thoughtfully look down the road and realize I shouldn't now, or I might endanger my future in some way, bankrupt myself in some way. And, uh, and so there's delayed gratification, a good quality to learn. There's, there's, there's the need to be thoughtful about your decision. Just stop, time out about what I'm about to do, what I want so much to do. Think down the road a little bit and see what the road looks like. Um, <clears throat> because you never know where that might lead. And parents, I would say, teach your children about this quality. Uh, children are very naturally impulsive, of course, but of course we need to have some kind of a grip on it in our own lives. And, and we all, nobody's perfect here, but, but uh, if you did an impulsive thing and bought that, that banana split, talk about it with your kids. You know, talk about it at the dinner table. Have some fun, but embed a lesson in it about life and about being impulsive. Uh, tell your stories. Tell how you're learning. I hope you're learning. And, uh, and let's train our children to be careful of this quality, which can uh, ruin a whole future if we're not careful. Next lesson. It's a parenting lesson. We have uh, three parenting lessons in here this morning. The first parenting lesson is about showing favoritism. Remember that verse I said take note of? 20, chapter 25, verse 28 says, Isaac had a taste for wild game and he loved Esau because Esau was a hunter. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac favored Esau. Rebekah favored Jacob. Children are very sensitive to parental favoritism. It's a form of 
parental injustice or unfairness or even abuse if it goes to an extreme. <clears throat> My wife Kathy, her mother's name is Marion, and she's the most fair person I've ever met. She's amazing. She does not fall into this error. She treats her kids diligently with, with great, to the best of her ability, with great fairness, making sure that one isn't, the favor isn't tilted one way towards one or toward the other. I know a family in another city who have two daughters and one son. And uh, we, I see them fairly regularly. And the story has been told by the daughters about the father's favoritism toward the one son. I guess he really wanted a son and finally he had one, the third child. And, uh, but they tell the story humorously, yes, and the kids are all in good standing with each other, wonderful, but the story keeps getting told. Especially one moment where one of the daughters said to their dad, perhaps in their later teens, early 20s, dad, can I borrow the car tonight? Dad said, no, you can't, nope, 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 not tonight. The son came along five minutes later, dad, can I borrow the car tonight? Sure, son, the keys are over on the countertop. The girls heard this and they just, it's, it stabs you. Like, what's going on here? It hurts and it leads to bad things. And, uh, and, 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 and Re Rebecca's favoritism to Jacob led to a very bad thing. Just let's take note as God's people this morning, and as we, uh, if your parents, if, as we raise our children, or in any situation where favoritism could happen, be careful to be fair-minded. And uh, you know what? We can, we can show favoritism so easily, and we don't even know we're doing it, right? So talk to your kids. Ask, talk about the subject and say, reflect back to me. Am I, am I doing okay here? Because we have blind spots, right? And I think it's so important for us to to be careful here uh, in our relationships with people and in our families. The second parenting lesson <clears throat> has to do with taking matters into your own hands. <clears throat> Rebecca so badly wanted her favorite son to have the blessing that she took matters into her own hands. She overheard Isaac say to Esau, go out and get the game, make the stew, and I'm going to bless you. Rebecca heard it and panicked and said, basically, we've got to do something. We got to do, this can't happen. We've got to do something. And, uh, <clears throat> and so she did what she did, created that whole scenario where they deceived Isaac and Jacob got the blessing by tricking him. Tough question. When do you rise up and take action? Because that can be a very good thing. And when do you wait and wait on God? That can be the right thing. Some of you are assertive, action-oriented people and you're not going to sit around and let life pass you by. You're going to stand up and seize the golden ring, right? <clears throat> that can be a good thing, as I said. On the other hand, there is a biblical phrase that talks about waiting on God. He's there. He sees everything. He knows everything. And in this moment here, do I act or do I wait on God? How do you know? Small groups, you can discuss that too. In Rebecca's case, it's crystal clear. She acted and she acted wrongly. 
She took matters into her own hands. You might remember Jesus once said in the Gospels, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self? How true those words were in this story that we're studying here today. As Rebecca and Jacob maneuvered their way to get more and lost everything. He who tries to save his life will lose it, said Jesus. You see, Esau was very angry, as we saw in the story, very murderously angry, which is not good, of course. And that caused Jacob to have to flee. Uh, his, his mother, Rebecca, said, you better leave. Go to Uncle Laban's, a couple hundred miles away in another part of Mesopotamia. Go to Uncle Laban's until Esau cools off. After a few days, she said, literally, she said a few days, that was dreaming, uh, you'll be able to come home and everything will be okay. Rebecca said that because she favored her son. She took matters into her own hands. And in so doing, as far as we know from the story, after Jacob left to go to Uncle Laban's, she never saw him again. She lost him. The son that she so much wanted to show favor to. That's a tragedy. It had to do with favoritism and it had to do with taking matters into your own hands, trying to save your life and losing everything. And uh, so again, a warning there for us. And, and, and it's not an easy question to answer. When, when do I wait on God? When do I take action and seize the initiative? And both have a place. Uh, it's discerning from God how to do it. Talk to your friends if you, need, if you need help, if you need guidance, if you need counsel. But I can tell you this, if, if taking action and seizing the moment is also sinful or cheating or compromising, it's wrong. Wait on God. He's there, he sees, he knows, he's sovereign, and he can take care of things that I'm tempted to take care of myself sometimes. All right? The third lesson in parenting is about blessing our children. <clears throat> Isaac wanted to bless his sons. He wanted to bless Esau. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. You know, the surprising thing about this blessing, as I said, was that even after it was given to the wrong son, it was given to Jacob, not to Esau, who he intended. And even though it had been obtained by Jacob through lying and deceit, it was irreversible. That's just the way it was in those days. Couldn't be undone. Jacob, the deceiver, was blessed. Now, you got to read to the end of the story before you cry out, that's not fair. It isn't fair, I know. But you got to keep reading. There's a God in this story as well. And these blessings were powerful and they determined one's destiny. You might say, well, we don't, we, don't, we don't give those kind of blessings today, right? I mean, I've never heard anybody doing that. And the answer to that is, well, maybe we do, in a way. Let me, let me think it through a little bit with you here. I know, maybe back in the 90s when there was kind of more of a Christian men's movement and promise keepers and all kinds of those were good things, 
uh, still is a promise keepers, by the way. But uh, there, there used to be some, some dads sometimes would, would arrange a special moment with their sons and they would gather some other dads and some other sons and they would, in a very formal sort of way, perhaps it would be after graduating from high school or university, entering teen years, it, it varied, it didn't matter. But they would have a, a moment where they would bless their sons or their daughters, absolutely. They would, they would just make a moment of doing it in a formal moment. It's like on you know, August the 17th, 1994, we received my blessing from my father. Nothing wrong with that. It's great. But I think there's a, a better way. I'm not saying you have to do that, but I am saying you have to do this. You with me? Bless your children, not in a 30-minute ceremony, but in a 30-year lifespan. Make the home that you create as a parent, as a father, and as a mother a blessing to your children. Because if we're not careful, you can curse your children, and you don't want to do that. Day after day, you live under the same roof. Year after year, pour your love into their love-thirsty hearts as they grow up. Create a home marked by fairness and justice without favoritism. Where as much as possible, we don't take matters into our own hands. A home marked by patience and grace. I know nobody's perfect. But this is our aspiration and our goal and our passion, the way we want to live and bless our children, a home marked by humility and joy and humor and acceptance. Sometimes your kids don't deserve, you would think, sometimes in our anger, they don't deserve my blessing. But God blesses us when we don't deserve it. And we must be like God. Bless them even if they don't deserve it, quote, unquote, Bless them by accepting them as they are and as God has made them, not as you wish them to be and as you want them to turn out. Example, typical example. <clears throat> A father was frustrated in, in uh, his ability to play hockey, but boy, oh boy, his son showed some promise. And so this father wants his son to be the next NHL hockey star, the next Connor McDavid, the next Austin Matthews, but... The son isn't interested in that, really. He's more interested in writing or art or music, things the father has really not much value upon. Fathers, don't, cause, don't curse your sons by trying to make them into what you want them to be. Bless them by enabling them and helping them and encouraging to be what God has made them to be in perhaps their skills or their talents or their abilities. Story from my childhood. I had a, have a friend, still a friend today. Lives in another city, another one of these. He was a boyfriend, boyhood friend, and he used to tell me in our teenage years because we were quite close of the criticisms of his father, because my friend wasn't academically gifted. He was very mechanically gifted, but he wasn't bringing home good marks from school. 
And there was another family with another boy who was bringing home great marks from school. And my friend told me, my dad has said many times, why can't you be as smart as so-and-so? What's wrong with you? And my friend's soul was wounded. He talks about it to this very day. He's tried his best to be reconciled with his father and they did the best they could. But sometimes fathers can leave a wound in their son's souls or their daughter's souls by, by words that are not a blessing. And, uh, and so, you know, this, this, is, this is deadly serious stuff. And, um, and we want to pay close attention to it. It's important, parents, that we bless our sons and our daughters uh, as we live with them in this life. Let's close now with a few words about Jacob's sin. The sin that he committed, uh, he, took, he blatantly and hardly without conscience took advantage of his elderly, blind, and good father. Tricked him to get his own advantage, to get ahead in life, to get the blessing. Lied to him three times and, and fooled him and deceived him. He also, of course, deceived his brother Esau by ripping him off and getting the blessing in his place. This is one of the low points of human behavior in all of the Bible, when you think about what really happened here. It's a terrible sin that was committed. You know, when you, uh, when you watch the news night after night after night or listen to it, we hear about the sins of the world, we hear about the sins of others, we hear about the sins of terrorists and greedy people and abusers. And, and, uh, but, you know, when you read the Bible... When we read the Bible, we read about the sins of others, but as you keep reading and when you read the whole thing, you realize the Bible's telling me I'm a sinner too. I'm as big of a sinner as anybody else. I'm depraved, and in some ways, I'm Jacob. The Bible doesn't pull any punches, and it tells us the truth about that. <clears throat> Remarkably, though, the Bible tells us two seemingly contradictory things. One of them, as I've said, is how sinful and broken we are and I am. The other one is how loved I am by God. And I think those, both things can't be true. If I'm so sinful, how could God love me? Or if God loves me so much, I must not be that sinful. And, and we struggle with bringing those two things together. And you know where they come together? In the Christian gospel, in the story of the cross, where Jesus, the Son of God, came and died for our sins. Yes, we are sinners. We needed a savior. Yes, God loves us. He died for our sins. Both things are true. And it's an amazing moment when we realize that. And it's meant to draw us to God, to run to him quickly, who would love us so, though we are so much like Jacob sometimes in our lives. Next week. There's something I wasn't able to get to in the story this morning. It has to do with uh, Jacob's moment before his father Isaac that's very, very important and ties into the gospel. So I want to cover that next week. And then next week we will follow Jacob as he has to leave home and he goes on a long journey. And one question that might arise is, where is God in this story? Like, not, not, much, not much mention of God here. I assure you, he's there. He's watching. He's listening. And... Jacob is going to meet God next week in a most unusual way. Lord willing, we'll see you then. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. 
Forgive us for ever thinking these stories from the Bible are boring or irrelevant, because they certainly are not. Help us where we are impulsive to be thoughtful. Help us where we show favoritism to be just. Help us when we're tempted to grab the wheel and take control to surrender to you and trust you. Help us to bless each other and our sons and daughters. In Christ's name we pray, amen.